So what is the day like? What is the day like for professional basketball player who's not necessarily a keen and, okay. and uh, I think it's Sam Cassell was on the team. And Sam was on, was on the team. Clyde right? was there, yeah. And and uh, the guy that's on TNT. Kenny Smith. Kenny yeah. Smith. Kenny yeah. Smith. Yeah. If you're not those guys, uh-huh. what is the day like? My day was, you know, I get up in the morning, get me some breakfast, get to the gym about 10 o'clock, get, up, get in there and get my weights in early, practice from 11 to, say, 1.30. After practice, get my shots up. I leave practice 2.30, you know, might go home, might take a nap, go catch a movie. You might have some school you might have to go to to read to the kids or... Uh, you might have an appearance or something like that for the team. Like we did a lot of Fannie Mae stuff okay. where we go help build houses. You might have something like that. You might have a particular appearance. But if you didn't have a, an appearance to go to uh, or something like that, which they kept you pretty busy, you know, doing stuff for the organization. You know, after practice pretty much was free. You go home, take a nap, relax, you know, the rest of the day until get ready for tomorrow. You know, so it's just like like any other job. After work, you get something to eat, go home, relax, watch TV, get ready for the next day. The same thing over and over if you don't have a, a road game to go to or something like that. So that was pretty much my day. I did quite a few appearances. Like a lot of times, uh, if they didn't request Dream, or Clyde, or you know, one of the star players when I played in San Antonio, if they didn't request David or Tim, they'd ask you know some of the other guys uh, do the appearance, you know, because those guys like I mean, right after the practice, those guys like dreams of star players. I mean, they they pulling on them like you wouldn't believe, you know. But it's just time consuming stuff, you know. What I'm saying where, like I say, you you don't really have a whole lot of time to yourself. So when you do get that time to yourself, you you, you value that time or with your family mm-hmm. because everybody else, you know, they're pulling on you. So, I mean, that, that was pretty much the day. The season starts like November. Now mm-hmm. it's training camp. It's, it's October They, they just camp. started, yeah, they just started training camp a week early, actually. They started a week earlier than they normally do because usually, what was the reason? Uh, I, I guess, um, they, I think they're trying to limit the back-to-back games. So I think they're going to stretch the season, going to go a little longer, something like that I heard How it. ignorant was Barkley making a comment last week about that back in? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe you agree with him. Back in his day, your day, uh-huh. that they did the back-to-back, blah blah blah, and he's like complaining why these millionaires complaining that oh, how to play because they want to save their knees right. to keep going until they're 37 making money. Is that do yeah. you find anything wrong with that? I can't, you know, I, I mean, I can't really find myself agreeing with much Charles <laughs> Charles says, to be honest with you. I can't do nothing but, you know, support these guys. Um, you know, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, they've done something for older players like myself. You know, I didn't think no one would ever do as far as with the health insurance. So, so now since I played 10 years in the league, I get free health care. For life? My family, yeah, my, for life. My family gets, I don't have to pay for health care. How new is that? That just happened uh, last year. We signed up for it in January of last year. Seriously? With the NBA, like, you know, if you played three years or whatever, you get coverage. You know, but it's only like a certain percentage. But if you played 10 or more years, you get it all, your family, your your health care for life. I can't really say too much bad about these cats because they looked out for us. Mm -hmm. You know, because, you know, I was paying for all my stuff out of my pocket. 
you know, and that, that, that stuff is expensive. So now, you know, you've done that for me. Make your money, man. Yeah, keep yeah. making your money. Keep do, Let the game keep growing, because as long as the game grows, my pension gets bigger. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So let the game keep growing. It ain't going to be where their money is, but right. still, it's for me. Right. I can take care of me and mine. You, you got in the league or? Uh, I was drafted in, yeah, 89, I left. My first season was 89, 90. So that's uh, Bad Boys, Detroit. Bad Boys, league. Detroit won it that year in 90. Yeah, that was on the, yeah, they back-to-back. I remember, again, when I was watching the NFL religiously when I first got to this country, mm-hmm. like people were saying, mm-hmm. an NFL player would show up and just hands him like a $75,000 check. That's your check for the week. You don't have to go with the details mm-hmm. about what it's like, but mm-hmm. that is what people dream about. They dream about every week somebody's putting, well, now somebody's putting some money automatically in your bank account. You don't have mm-hmm. to give me numbers, but is that what it's like? When somebody says, I just signed mm-hmm. a you know, $3.4 million contract, uh-huh. what does that mean in terms of <laughs> the next day, the month after? What does that mean? I've never okay. really had somebody answer me that question. Is there, in the NBA, is it just, Every month, if somebody's putting some shit in your bank account, or I mean, how does that work? But you get paid like anybody else on the first and fifteenth. Serious. First and fifteenth, you get paid like they don't do like the NBA doesn't do signing bonuses like football. They do like say they sign for thirty million, you get ten million dollar signing bonus. Mm. Then you gotta work for the other twenty million. That's how that works in football. That's how their contracts go. Didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. The NBA, they say, okay, Russell Westbrook just signed for two hundred and five million. He gonna get 205 million. So NBA contracts are guaranteed. That's why they talk about how powerful the NBA players union is. Mm-hmm. You know, because they the guaranteed contract. You know, like they say, Adrian Peterson signed for 10 million with New Orleans. You know, he got to sign the bonus of 3 million. So he got that 3 million in the bank, but he got to work for that 7 million. So that's why they can release a guy before the end of his contract and not have to worry about paying him. Whereas in the NBA, they sign a guy for for 25 million mm-hmm. and they decide to cut him They're the team him? still has to serious? pay him yes sir and if the guy if the guy clears waivers if you clear waivers after and what 48 does that hours because you hear that you hear okay. that a lot if you clear waivers after 48 hours if nobody has claimed you mm-hmm. to pick up the payment on your contract now you become a free agent so now not only is that team paying you if you sign with another team you get you're getting checks. two checks so that's how that works. In so the NBA. once you ink it in the NBA, the money's uh-huh. yours. The money's yours. Are you serious? Yes, sir. So somebody like a, uh, what's the guy? The guy, dude, Jason Williams. Yes. He got in the motorcycle accident. Right. He got the money, but. Or there were stipulations and contracts, right? That you can't do these certain dangerous things or whatever. Right. But see, Chicago actually looked out for him because they could have voided his contract. In our contracts, there's a thing that says that we can't ride motorcycles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And like any injuries had to be basketball. You know, if you're working out or something like that, you know, that's different. They could have voided his contract. You know, they still decided to pay him, but they could have very well said, you know what? You shouldn't have been on that motorcycle. Boom, we're not going to pay you. But they didn't do that. So, I mean, you got to give credit where credit is due. Um, they get credit for still taking care of them. You know? When did you start becoming savvy about the business? Until probably like six years in. So were you were you burdened? Were you just, you know, a car here? You know, no. doing that kind of thing? No, no, no. I wasn't never like that. 
I think I, you know, just, I just, like, I started paying attention to stuff that was going on as far as, like, the treatment of the guys and how I was seeing guys that were better than another guy, but it was like, okay, we be in practice where this guy would be killing this other guy, but then when we get in the game, they wouldn't play this certain guy, and they would play this guy that they had more money invested in and mm-hmm. not play this guy who was, who was obviously a better player. You know what I'm saying? So I started paying attention to those uh instances and I need to go ahead and you know take care of myself and just you know get my workouts in and you know come early stay late and you know do that kind of thing so I think probably around my sixth year in the league that's when that that stuff happened I mean I still you know always came and worked hard and you know earlier before that but I think I didn't really pay attention to the to how much of a business it really was I was thinking that you know everybody would get a fair shot because I was able to get a fair shot. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't realize, you know, you know, I got drafted. So because they had invested in me, I was going to get the first shake before this guy that they didn't draft, even if he was better than me. So I always, you know, worked on trying to be better than that guy in front of me. But I really didn't pay attention to the business aspect of it. Lead. So is that the case? Because you, in the NFL, mm-hmm. there are guys that become superstars that went to tiny university blah 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 then Mm. they just come to the league and you realize they just athletes and they just kill it and dude that was a first round pick well sorry you know this dude is just working his ass off we Mm. never knew about him because his grades probably suck coming out of high school he was the greatest athlete in the world Mm -hmm. he got to the league he proved himself what you're saying is when you get to the nba level because it's a smaller pot it's only what 12 13 people Mm -hmm. in the roster well 15 it's 15 they keep 12 that dress and Three, like, on injury, injury reserve. You know, basically, you keep 15 for practice. See, but you're saying, if I'm hearing right, mm-hmm. in the NBA, it's more your first rounder, you're going to get some minutes. You're going to get you gonna get the first shot at it. Okay. You know, you got to really be bad. You know, you got to really stink it up to not be successful because they're going to give you every opportunity to be successful because, you number one, you know, you have that three-year salary slot as a first round pick so if, if i got to sign you for three years 15 million and i got a guy that's a free agent that's probably better than you what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna i'm gonna take this guy put him on the injured reserve list and keep him around oh yeah they'll do they'll keep, oh yeah they'll keep him yeah keep just to keep him around they're not gonna let him go and let him go somewhere else they're gonna see if this first round pick can develop into something first and so he's he, training he's training he's Yes. He's never going to dress. He's, he, he may never dress. He may never dress because they don't want to, you know, the one thing I learned about corporate America through basketball is that, you know, corporate America, they don't want to admit mistakes. Right. You know, when they make a mistake. So if they take this first round pick, don't play him, and they play this non-drafted guy, they'll look at that as a mistake instead of looking at it like, oh man, you know, my scouting department did a hell of a job in finding this guy. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll make it look like they made a mistake because now they've assigned this dude for three years. He slotted this money, he gotta give it to him. Whereas this free agent guy, you know, I gotta give him, you know, 850,000. You know what I'm saying? So it's different, it's different. Change the game, I let the game change you. Uh, I forever remain faithful. All my people stay true. I said, make the money, don't let the money make you. Change the game, I let the game change you. Uh, I forever remain faithful. All my people stay true. I mean, you play for legendary coach at NC State, right. Coach Jim Valdano. Right. 
How much of a preparation was that for what you faced the first couple of years in the league? Um, and how good was NC State at that point? Oh, we were, we were really good. We were really good. I think my senior year, we lost in the Sweet 16 to Georgetown on a bad call that we should have went to the uh, the Elite Eight. But you're not you're not bitter about that. You're not, you're not I'm very bitter about that. <laughs> I'm very bitter about that. You know the referee? That. You know uh, the referee? He's uh, still, what was he's his name? Working. Yeah, he's not working anymore. He's not working but he got anymore. demoted after that game. He was an ACC official. I forget his name. He actually wrote a letter to Coach V. Apologize? Apologizing, no. yes, about that call. Now, what kind of uh, was the foul? It was charge? a travel. It was a travel on Chris Corciani. The game was, uh, we were down one. It might have been like 62 to 61 or 61 60. Corch drives to the hole. Alonzo Mourner has four fouls. Corch gives an up fake. Alonzo jumps. Corch throws it up, gets bumped, and one. We get Alonzo out of the game. That's his fifth foul. He's out of the game. We got a chance to go up two. If Coach makes the free throw, which he probably would have made it, and the one referee called a foul, this guy came in and called a travel. Yeah, I, I'm still very bitter about that because we would have gone to the Elite Eight to play Duke, who we, we had very much confidence. We had split with them 1-1 one, one during the year, and uh, we know we could have beat them on a neutral court. So we feel like that was our chance to go to the Final Four. And Duke at that point was who was the big guy? Uh, Danny Ferry. Okay. They had Christian Leitner. Tell the folks, who, who did you play against who was in the ACC? At that Back time, then. so Leitner, Ferry. Uh, Leitner, Ferry, Tom Hammonds, J.R. Reed, Kenny Smith, Muggsy Bogues, uh, Lynn Bias. I got to play against him my freshman year. Uh, Eldon Campbell, Dale Davis. Uh, I already mentioned Kenny Smith, I think. Uh, Brad Doherty was a senior when I was a freshman. Mark Price also was a senior when I was a freshman. John Sally. So you played against the NBA in college. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. ACC was tough. Even though there was only eight teams in the ACC, when I went to the NBA, they did a, a thing in the USA Today about the number of players from each conference in the NBA. The ACC had the most players in the NBA uh, at that time. I didn't give you a chance to answer the question about V. Okay. Because um, I mean, the guy that I played for at NC State Soccer, Coach Tarantino. Tarantino, that was his guy. Yeah, that was his guy. You earned your way right. to his scholarship to be coached by Coach V. What right. did he teach you that prepared you most for the league? taught me the importance of working hard, the importance of showing up every day for work and letting people know what they're getting. I think he showed me that, how important that was. I think my father instilled in me or let me know that you have to be dependable. You know what I'm saying? Where, you know how sometimes when you're a kid, your parents can tell you something and you ain't listening, you know, but until somebody else tells you it, then it magnifies like, damn, you know what? He right, you know? So I think that was one of the things, um, he echoed that my father put in me is to be 
dependable. So I always tried to be dependable as an NBA player. And it always made me feel good. Just used to say they could depend on me in meetings. I used to get teased about it by my teammates, but they would point out like we'd have team meetings where they'd be blasting everybody. And like Chuck Daly might say, I wish I had, you know, 10 Chucky Brown. You're that dude. I, I hated was that dude. dude. I was I that hated dude. Those <laughs> I was that dude. I was that dude. I was that dude. Look at that one tackle. He ran back. Well, you, you got him out of the game and put me back in and I scored. God damn it. Why? Why are you talking dude. about that dude? But I'm saying, yes. those are the dudes I was that, that end dude. up coaching. Right. Those are the dudes right. that end up making right. a life right. out right. of athletics. And right. I think people don't. I mean, when you're young, you see, again, the Jordan, the dunking, the flash. Uh-huh. And I always latched on to the guys like yourself. Mm-hmm. And because people don't talk about. Right. People don't talk about. But it's those guys that survive and thrive and make a living for their family for not three years. Mm-hmm. Not 12. Because after NBA, you were got into coaching, you did stuff like that. Right. So what does dependability mean when you get to the NBA? For I a guy mean, who's not a superstar. Right. Well, it, it, it means everything for a guy that's not a superstar because one thing a coach in the NBA wants to know, you know, when that game is coming up, he don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to give that effort. NBA coaches want to know, like, all right, I know if I put this guy in, he's going to work hard. You know, he's going to give it all he got. He ain't going to lay down. Uh, they they want to know those type of things. So it, it, it means... You know, everything, especially for a guy like that was in my position, it means everything because when they're, when they're talking about bringing you in, you know, they're not talking about bringing you in as a guy that's going to be a star guy. They want to know that, okay, no matter what or when I put this guy in, going to be ready. So it, the, being dependable is everything for a guy that's not a star player to come in or to be solid. Consider the dubious distinction that is you, Joe Smith, Tony Massenberg right. played for the most teams in the league. Or I see it as a mark of that dependability. Right. Somebody always needed right. your service and could say, I can count on Joe. I mean, he was the number one pick after a while, but people right. realize, you know, Joe can depend. He can bang. Right. He was in Cleveland. He can bang. He's in Minnesota. He can bang. He can do something. Right. I don't remember Tony Massenberg much. He was a guard? Or I don't no, he was a big man. About 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, six, yeah, powerful. What was that like? And I'm, I'm trying to think not just for you, but for your right. family, for example. Like, what is that? What is that? Because don't, people don't talk about that. Like, right. literally, you can get a call the next day. Right. Um, you're in Minnesota. And you're going to plan to go to Minnesota. Right. What is that like? It, it was, you know, really, it wasn't even tough, man. I didn't even think about it. I just, you know, if you called me, I just packed up and went. It, I didn't even, it wasn't hard. It really wasn't hard at all. And my wife understood. This is what it is. You know, I wasn't one of those guys who was fortunate to sign in July. Training camp started October 5th. I signed October 1st. Teams always felt like because of because of who I was as a player, that they always felt like they could find somebody better. So they would try to search that avenue. So who were you? For people that don't know, who were you as a player? I was considered like a, a utility guy, mm-hmm. a lunch pail guy, a guy that was going to come to work, a guy that you can put in you know, many different circumstances. Like I played center, uh, guarding Patrick Ewan 
on uh, nights when I was playing. When he took Houston. his four steps or when he took his three steps? When he took his three steps. <laughs> <laughs> when he took his three steps. You know, I've guarded, um, you know, shooting guards like Latrell Sprewell, Allen Henderson. I've guarded power forwards like Wait a second, you were on the wing at 6'9", 250? I, I was on Staying the wing. Staying with Spree? I, I was a pretty good athlete. I'm not the same athlete now, okay. of course, because I'm 50. But I was very athletic, could run, jump. I could guard anyone, you know, on the floor. So I was a, considered a utility guy. Uh, the Swiss Army knife type of guy. You know, you could pull him out and he, there's something that you could put him around. You know so what I'm saying? So how, what was the longest stint you had? Uh, with a team? Yeah. Cleveland, like two years. I spent two full years. So each contract was a year? Yeah, my first year was one. My second contract with Cleveland was for two. I got released, so they had to continue paying me because I cleared waivers and got picked up by the Lakers, so I collected two checks that Damn. year. Yep, then New Jersey was one year. Houston, I signed a two-year deal with Houston. After that first year, we won the finals. 96, I signed a two-year contract, and I ended up getting traded to Phoenix. And then I, after after I got traded to Phoenix, I got traded to Milwaukee in the same year. Yeah, so every contract was pretty much a year. So, I mean, obviously basketball is basketball, but uh -huh. like in the NFL, each team runs, it's the same way in the NBA, but, right. but I mean, NBA is, to me, is pick, it's pick and roll. Everybody. Pretty much. The last 15 seconds of it, last 10 seconds is just pick and roll. Pick and roll. And when, especially when you played, it was still man on man defense. There was right. no zone. Right. And so it was still that. Right. So I'm saying, how hard is it? You're with the Suns, and I got to fly to Milwaukee, uh -huh. and I got to learn their shit? Well, everybody runs the same thing. They just got a different call. So with Cleveland, three sets the screen for the two baseline screen was called one swing. When I went to LA, the same play was called floppy. <laughs> so everybody runs the same things, it's just different call. Gotcha. So it's not it's not that different. Speaking of calls, because you, you, you talk about uh, Sweet 16 against Georgetown, mm -hmm. it seems like out of all the leagues, the NBA, the one where the referee mm -hmm. can more or less dict yes. what happens in a game. Right. And we know what happens with star players. I mean, right. they get away with yes. anything they want. I'm sorry, Michael Jordan pushed on Brian Russell. He right. pushed off Brian Russell. <laughs> he, he pushed off Brian Russell with his left hand. Right. And I'm seeing Patrick Ewan, he, he traveled right. every All time, time he came All from the, right. the, the left block across the right block. It was three steps. That's right. a travel. Right. So what is it like to deal with that, do you just shut your mouth as this utility dependable player that you go, I'm not gonna get the calls, they're gonna elbow me in the face, right. I'm gonna bleed and they're just gonna keep going? That's just the right. way the league is? Yeah, you you kinda you kinda get used to it. I, I can tell you a situation that happened to me when I was in Milwaukee, one one play that sticks out in my mind. I was in the game, uh, Glenn Robinson was one of our top players, Vin Baker and Ray Allen, those are our top, Ray was a rookie then. So Glenn had five fouls. I had probably two fouls. So a play happened and uh, I don't know if the referees still do this, but they were able to do this back in the day. You raise your hand and they just give you the- No, I didn't raise my <laughs> hand, but yeah, you see that sometimes. But something happened, Big Dog, we call Glenn Big Dog. So Big Dog, he actually fouled the guy. I was in the vicinity. So the official knew that that was Glenn's sixth foul. Right. He was out of the game. So what he did was he gave me the foul. So, you know, I was a seventh-year veteran. I go to the referee like, dude, I didn't foul him. I was like, yo, that was his foul. 
So then he just kind of like told me, said, hey, listen, you want him to foul out? Straight up. It's referee. a business. It's a business. The stars got to be stars in the Stars got to be in. That's what they come Damn. to see him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it, it, that's, that's real. Greg Woolard is the referee. RIP, Greg Woolard has passed on. Mm-hmm. But Greg Woolard is the guy that told me that. <laughs> so, I mean, you want to win the game, but the fans come to see the stars. My four tickets that I gave to somebody, they came to see me. 19,996 KBC Dream Play. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's, it's a business. They can say what they want to. Uh, but, yeah, you know, they, they try to keep certain guys in the game. You you wonder why certain guys don't get certain calls uh, or certain guys get certain calls. And you, it might, you might have thought you'd seen it on somebody else. Your eyes didn't deceive you. You know, they have to keep guys out there to play. Because you you now you have the authority of having played for mm-hmm. plenty of teams and playing in an era that now people look back on as like the golden era of the NBA where mm-hmm. men played and it was right. tough and it was hard and a foul was a foul. Who was? Let's take MJ out of the equation. Just just, just let's just take him out of the equation. All right. Who else? The best player I played against. Yep. Okay. Well, for the record, my top. Five, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the overrated. greatest I mean, player. underrated. Un- very much Kareem underrated. Abdul-Jabbar is the greatest player to ever play the game. Michael Jordan is number two. Mm. Magic Johnson is number three. You know, number four, I'm going to go with Olajuwon as my number four. Uh, best player. And then number five, I got to go with Larry Bird. That's, That's my bold on five. the five there. That's, That's my bold. top five. That's my top five that of all bold. time. That's my top five. That <laughs> That's bold. my top five of all time right there. What did Akeem have or what things did you see because he had the footwork of a soccer player he had right. the footwork of a guard right and he was what seven one seven two no correct dream dream was only uh like six ten and a half he was yeah he's not he's not he's like kg's seven. height kg is taller than dream kg is Seriously? a legit seven foot yeah so dream is so not dream about six ten and a half so maybe true. six eleven in that probably era, like uh he probably like a little but maybe dwight howard size maybe a little bit taller than dwight wow. body wise he had the body of maybe a power forward okay you know, but he was a he was uh he played center. He was much smaller than the guys that he played against. Those guys will tell you though, he dream wasn't no no seven footer, you know, but he could run and jump and he was agile and his footwork was incredible. You know, he had a nice touch. You know, Dream could shoot better than people realize. Dream was in the gym. Now that's that's one thing about uh, certain guys that I saw that I played with that were star players, Dream put the work in. Mm-hmm. You know, he was there, he stayed, he, he wasn't a guy that came like super early, but he stayed after and got his work after mm-hmm. every day. So uh, Dream was a guy, I, I got to, when I worked with the Lakers, I got a chance to see Kobe, his work ethic and, you know, Kobe work. I mean, people may not like him as a person, but as a basketball player, as a hard worker, a guy with work ethic, Kobe had. What years were you with the Lakers? Shaq was I was there. No, nah, Shaq wasn't there when I was working with the Lakers. Uh, it was probably like uh, the year they went back to back. What was that? 07, 08. 
maybe like 06 to 2010. You I said working with the Lakers as a coach? Or? I was a, well, I worked for the defenders, the D-League assistant, the D-League assistant and the D-League head coach uh, for the Lakers defenders team. So when did you decide to transition? Because that's the other thing. I've noticed that the coaches, a lot of times, like Pat Riley had a little career in the NBA, mm-hmm. but it's always, or Scott Skiles. Scott uh-huh. Skiles has a decent career in the NBA. Uh-huh. Obviously, Jason Kidd is a whole But there are guys that you got a chance to see the whole uh-huh. organization. You got a chance to see the big picture. Right. Rather than just being a, a star. Because I think Magic was a coach. For a minute. For a minute. Because right. there's just, to me, it's just certain things when, when you're that elite. Right. I could almost see with a film session going. So you didn't see the guy over there? You couldn't have done the behind the back? You, right. you couldn't do... Because there's things that they can do right. that are just beyond... I mean, they're like PhDs in right. their sport. Right. So it's always the guys that kind of grind, mm-hmm. that kind of make their way through, that saw the kind of work. Because any coach will tell you, I'm going to pick a guy who will work right. over a guy with skill. That's right. Work is, work is every day. Dependable, yeah. Work is dependable. Right. Skill, you might be off. You might go... You might do a J.R. Smith and go right. two for forever, right. or a John Starks. Right. But I can count on Charles Oakley. That's right. I can count on Tristan Thompson. That's right. You know, I can count on them to just yeoman like. They're gonna be there. there. They're gonna be there. Yeah, they're gonna be there. They're gonna be there every single day. Right. The current NBA now. Season starts in about a month, month and a half. Mm-hmm. Who are you looking forward to see right now? Who am I looking forward to seeing in the NBA right now? I'm looking forward and hoping to see more of Joel Embiid. You wouldn't think like after like two, three years off that he would come in and do the things that he did. Shooting threes for oh, seven. He's legit, I mean, what, seven he's legit seven feet. Yeah, he's legit. And he, but he's a big seven right. footer. Like right. he's like the thick seven footer that you don't see anymore. You know, his incredible footwork. They've compared him to Elijah Wan. Uh, I think he's got to stay healthy first. He's young. I think he's young. So and I think they, they, they've done a study where you know, when these guys come out early, they're more apt to get hurt. Um, and he's following that. You know, so maybe once his body gets used to that 82-game season, he'll be able to stay healthy. But I think I'm looking forward to seeing Embiid play. And um, I'm also looking forward to seeing the rookie from Boston that went to Duke, uh, Jason Tatum. Okay. I'm looking forward to seeing Tatum play because I, I really like Jason Tatum. I think he's a really good player. What about that guy, Dennis Smith? We went to Dallas. Yeah, he went to Dallas. I'm looking forward to seeing Dennis, but I'm hoping that he's getting going to get like the proper mentoring because he's going to be out there as a young point guard. He's going to be playing with veteran guys, and some of the veteran guys may be on a contract year. Try to intimidate him to get them the ball, and it's going to be different kind of pressures that he's going to face. See, that's the thing people don't realize. Oh, yeah. That kind of stuff, but that's reality. It goes on. That's reality. That's I'm in my happen. contract year. I need some numbers. Yeah, Sorry, rookie. You ain't going to be rookie of the year no. this year. Give me the goddamn rock. Yo, I forget him. You, you, you don't want, think yeah. about stuff like yep. that. And it happens. It happens. So I think that I haven't looked at their roster and, and seen who's going to be on that contract year, but I'm sure there's somebody on a contract year that's going to want that ball, want him to get him the ball. And if he doesn't get him the ball, there will be some words said. And how is he going to handle that? Is he going to be this going to be my team? Or is he going to say, hey, you know, you're right. A force and stuff. And then he start looking bad. So what about the guys, for example, that are you you were coaching the D League? Uh-huh. A lot of commentators shitting on the D League. Yeah. They shit on the D League hard. Yeah. 
But what is, what is the reality of the D-League? How many guys get a chance to go up from the D-League yearly? Is it working, basically? Um, I think it's working better than it did in the past when I was there. Uh, but only, like, certain teams, like the Rockets, have done it right, where they promoted guys that were coaching their D-League team back when I was there. Now they're on the bench with the Rockets. Gotcha. So the Rockets have done it right. You know, there are a few teams. The Oklahoma City, they do it right. You know, same thing with them. But as far as, like, for the players in the D-League, uh, I mean, it's, it's tough because it's a whole different mentality because these guys are there because they think they're close, but they're also looking at opportunities overseas. If something opens up overseas, they get a buyout in their contract. If they're good enough, the team overseas can buy out their contract and they can leave. So if they feel like they're getting shitted on, they're totally Asian. Be like, hey, look, I need to get fuck out of here. Go ahead and you know, try to find something for me overseas. And they'll leave on you and tell you, you know, you'll have a game that day. They'll tell you that morning, hey, coach, I'll, I'm I'm be out going over to France. So now you're like, oh, shit. You, I mean, they'll leave without a warning. No, and you really can't blame them for that because you want them to be able to, uh, you know, make as much money they can. You can't play this shit forever. You want to make as much money as you can in a short period of time. started this conversation and I'm saying it's the guys that are able to etch out a career sort of under the radar. I respect because they figured out not just the business, but uh-huh. the social part. Any type of structure, be it corporate or family, you gotta know people, you gotta get along with people. Right. You gotta recognize your own value and then being able to not convince somebody, but right. showcase it to somebody. Right. And that's a, that's a skill. That's a skill just like Akeem does his dream shake, right. just like LeBron does a fadeaway. I don't know why. Why the hell he's doing a fadeaway right. three? Or, or Steph puts up jumpers. Right. That's his skill. So besides your father obviously instilling those things in you through mm-hmm. his stories and through his life, is that something you were aware of that you were learning this thing? Or it's like you look up and nine years later, you go, I know how to do this shit. As far as basketball? Yeah. Or just... I guess the life part. Okay. And because you're learning, the, you're learning right. the, the basketball. Right. Right. Plus, right. you're learning how to manage life as right. you move along too. Right. I think that I, I I learned how to manage life, like how to how to stick in the league. I think I figured that out probably around uh, my third year. Figured out, you know what? Like like I said, learning from a guy like Larry Nance, learning from a guy like a James Worthy. Think what I underrated. Learned. Nobody talks about James Worthy. Right. Man. Right. He was one of the best players ever. What I learned from them is you, you come early, you stay late, you get your work in, keep your focus on your job. It is a job. You know, because when I first came to the league as a rookie, I was just having a ball. I was having a blast. But, you know, like I said, Larry Nance was the guy that showed me how to be a pro because he was in like his 11th year or something, you know, some crazy, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, I wanted to be like that. I was going to do what he told me to do. 
in order to get there, I think that I learned to you know come to work and always you know work hard and be somebody that they can depend on, be somebody that they don't have to worry about, be the guy that the coach ain't going to worry about. Okay, if my phone ring at three in the morning, I know it ain't him. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I always try to be that guy, and like 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 the guy you hated. <laughs> you know, I was that guy. You know, so I wish I had tended. Chuck Daly used to say it all the time. You know, when I went to play in Charlotte, Paul Silas said it. So you know, the te- my teammates used to tease me. They used to call me 99. The perfect player on the video game was rated 99. <laughs> so they used to call me 99 because Paul Silas thought I was like the perfect player. The reason why I played on so many teams, a lot of people may say like, well, you played on a team because you weren't good enough to play. Mm-hmm. No, I, don't, I I didn't take it like that. I took it like, you know, you know, somebody wanted me. You know, somebody knew that I could be dependent on. Somebody knew that I was good in the locker room. Right. You know what I'm saying? When I went to Sacramento, one thing I was doing was, you know, when I got there, you know, first thing, uh, you know, I went straight to practice. I didn't get there till January or February. This so what year? This was in 2001, I think. So when they were... When we were we lost in the, the Western Conference Finals when we got cheated. You got cheated against, by the referee. We got cheated by the referee against the Lakers. Right. I was there. Uh, you know, when I got out to Sacramento and I just came out, they called me first and said, hey, would you mind coming out just to practice? I said, yeah. I said, that's cool. I'll just come and practice. That's fine. You know, I was up in years anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm looking at trying to help a young player anyway. So when I got there... I work out every day. I still work out every day. I was in great shape. And they were surprised at what kind of shape I was in. So one of the coaches pulled me to the side and was like, how you stay in such great shape? And I just told him, you know, this is my business. My body is my business. So I take care of my business. And uh, they said, you know, we want you to work with the younger guys. Like uh, Gerald Wallace was a rookie. Mike Bibby was young. Leeds was young. Peja Stoyakovich was young. Them guys, you know, I was like, okay. So, and they especially wanted me to work with Gerald Wallace. So one thing I helped Gerald with, like, yo, Gerald, let's get our workout in. We might not play tonight. But let's get here. Let's run some suicides. Let's run, you know, in case we do get mm-hmm. out there. Gerald would listen. You know, it took him a minute to listen. Because, you know, young dudes, you know, sometimes they don't want to listen to you. So, but I was doing it with him. You know, so I'm killing myself too. So it came a time when, you know, Peja got hurt and Gerald had to go play. He was out there playing. He was so well condi- in condition, he didn't get tired. Because if you're not conditioned and they throw you out there, you can get tired pretty quick, especially with your adrenaline going right. and everything like that. Gerald didn't get tired. That right there helped him continue to work out with me. When they asked me to do that, no problem. You know, I figured, you know, that, that was my last year anyway. So... You know, I was just trying to help another guy get to where, where I was. I think Gerald ended up playing about 14, 15 years. He's still in the league now? He just no, I think he's out, out now. Just, he got out a few years ago. He was up in Charlotte. I ran into him in for Charlotte. I think that was one of the last teams he played for. I remember when he first got in, he was a flyer. Yes. Gerald Flyer. I can't remember if it was uh, Braids or Little Yeah, he had Braids. Yeah, he had Braids. He yeah. was a flyer. And then I remember, was he in New Jersey for a little bit too? He was in the Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn. I'm yep. oh, no, sorry. Yeah, Brooklyn. Brooklyn yep. so I remember him in Brooklyn. Yep. You can see that. The knees were, yep. were not quite there, but yep. he beca- he almost like became, not you, but he became somebody who could be dependable. That's right. That's right. Carved out a career. They yep. can count on him. He's not yep. going to you know, put up 10, yep. 15, That's it. but he can give you good minutes. Is there a place for the player you were 
in the NBA. Oh right yeah. Now? Oh yeah, there's definitely a place for the player that I was. Uh I think Draymond Green is a player like me, but Draymond just handles the ball a little more than I did. But mm-hmm. Draymond Green is a scrapper, hustler. He's gonna come out and defend multiple positions. Right. So Draymond Green is a player like I was. So I, who is your all Chucky Brown team in the NBA right now? Who right now? Your your five guys you go, that's my brother, that's my cousin, that's my okay. guy. That's that's uh, who I was. Just that I like. But have your kind of tendencies, let's say. Maybe okay. not exactly, but right. so Draymond. Okay. Draymond would probably be my starting uh, small forward, which I could play him at a power forward too, but mm-hmm. I'd start him at small forward. My my point guard would be Russell Westbrook because I never took nights off. Okay. I played hard. My shooting guard, my shooting guard would probably be James Harden because he doesn't take nights off either. You know, he plays every night. My power forward would be a guy like a Jay Crowder, toughness guy. Gonna work hard, gonna defend, gonna hit the open shot. That's a guy, you know, that that probably emulates me. And my my other fifth guy, let's see, let's see that that fifth guy. Uh, I'd say like a Bismack Biombo. Damn, um, was he with Orlando? He was with Orlando. I think he he was with Toronto. I don't know where he went after Toronto. Maybe Orlando, but Bismack Biombo, who was in Charlotte. He was, yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right, that's right. That's I right. think that he's a guy that comes to work. He's dependable. You know, he's going to come and rebound and block shots. So th- those would be my my five guys. I think, you know, probably out of those five, my favorite two would be Biambo and Crowder would be more like me as far as what their role would be on the team. And I got to go back and watch some Chucky Brown. Go back and watch Highlights, because my picture is, all right, all right, we don't want Dream on the big guy. Right. You got your elbow. You got your That's forearm yeah, yeah, on yeah. somebody yeah. at the block, yeah. and they're trying to back you in. I can't picture you running. I can't. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I got to go, yeah, go, go, go back and watch. You got to go back and watch, So you're flying down in transition. Yeah. You're coming oh, in yeah. and yamming on somebody from Yeah. From, yeah. yeah. I'm underestimating. I'm going to have to start posting some of the highlights <laughs> on Facebook is what I'm having to start. So, so, you know, I was what they called a tweener back okay. then, so I could play the three or the four. Uh, I was more of a four in college. But yeah, I jump hook. I take you off the dribble. Oh yeah. So what's the most? What's your best game in the NBA? My wise? best game point wise in the NBA was thirty. Damn. Uh, did that against Orlando. Uh, yeah, I had a I had a bunch of 18, 6, 14 type games, but my my career high is thirty NBA. When I was in the CBA, my career high was uh, thirty nine. My college career high was thirty four. Should have been forty. I missed. Tell me that was against Carolina, please. It was against Wake Forest. But my, my but my but before that game my previous high was twenty nine against Carolina. It was twenty nine so and sixteen. Who, what Carolina guys? Who was over there? That, oh, J.R.E., Scott Williams, Pete Chilcut, Rick Fox, uh, King Rice, Steve Bucknall, all of them. They had a good team. Carolina had a good team, man. Yeah. Man, my twenty nine to sixteen. My proudest sentence being a Wolfpack athlete alum, say a four year soccer team. Never beat them. Never lost. That's what's up. The That's North Carolina Tarkins. That's what's he up. Never lost. That's what's up. To North Carolina Tarkins. And they got a good soccer program. They had a very good soccer program. So that says. But that not those four years. They could, right, they could right. That says a lot about our program. That says a whole lot. Yeah.
I remember seeing you, and it's funny that you say that, that you were always sort of waiting around September and October, because I remember seeing you in Reynolds. Uh-huh. Working when out. I, when I stayed around here, yeah. in the gym, in Reynolds, yep. and also working individually with Coach Wright. That's right. Because I remember sometimes... You know the old locker room. You go in. And you have to go through, through the men's yeah, locker the room. room. You get yeah. to the weight room, right? <laughs> and so you'd come through, like yep. my freshman sophomore year or something. You'd come through. Yeah. And they were like, like sometimes I would feel bad, like going in the weight room because you'd be there. I think sometimes you'd come there and it would just be you and right. Yep. That's and I'm exactly. going, I'm going. Yeah. Be here? Should I? Should I leave this man? You know, by himself. <laughs> but then I would. Just, See, like, a lot of times it'll just be you. It's not like somebody's shagging balls for you to throw it back. It's like you upstairs at Reynolds, like you said, grinding, yeah. grinding, right. getting the work in That's right. to be ready for whatever the situation presents itself. Like we always do with this time. I'm 49 and had a good life. How old are your daughters now? 16, 13, and 10. What do they know? Let's say like a 16-year-old. What does she know now? 16-year-old Chucky Brown did not know about. Besides, um, besides, you know, like the history stuff you said you learned right. later on. Besides life. that, um, she asked me questions a lot now. You know, she started asking me questions probably at 14 about, you know, Malcolm X, Black Panther movement. And I'm like, where you hear that stuff from? You know, <laughs> like, I know you ain't here in school. <laughs> So, you know, she watches, she's social media, right? you know what I'm saying? So she sees, so, so I explained to her about Black Panthers, how they were necessary, how they were really good, and, you know, the media tried to pretty much destroy their reputation. And to, say, to answer the question, what does she know that 16-year-old Brown didn't know? I'm, I'm just going to say she's more aware of, of her surroundings, where, aside from the history mm-hmm. stuff, um, I just think she's more aware. She's more aware of uh, the fact that you know everybody doesn't want to see you do well. Where I wasn't aware of that. Right. You know what I'm saying? I think I was uh, a little sheltered from that, and I didn't learn that until I got older. So I think she's her awareness is better than mine. You said that she's more aware, right. Because of social media, right. And it's just in your face. Mm-hmm. So and listening to you for the past couple hours, mm-hmm. I think it seems like you're a big proponent. Mm-hmm. Of social media because right. there's no filter. Right. It's just this is what it is. This is what. <laughs> if you don't want to check this Instagram page, right. go look at something else. But we're gonna keep this here. Right. This happened. You can't deny that this happened. Right. So do you think it's social media that's making 14, 15, 16 year olds a little bit more aware than you were? I think that social media has helped 14, 15 year olds be more aware than I was. I think the information was always out there for us. We had to dig and find it. I don't think I was as willing to dig and find it back then because I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think now they don't really have to dig and find the information that is out there for them. You know, it's, it's just right there in their face. So you're you're at this point now. Mm-hmm. You're content in your life. You're content in where you are. You feel comfortable ex- expressing yourself. Right. And what happens happens. Right. So five, ten years from now, mm-hmm. when we look back on this Colin Kaepernick type era mm-hmm. in sports, mm-hmm. and as a former professional athlete, as a father, as a black man trying to just survive in America and be right with yourself and with your family. Right. 
What do you want to remember about this particular time? Um, I would I would like to remember, uh, or I, I would hope that something would be done to address the issue of the kneeling. I would hope that, but I, I'm not I'm not so sure that that's going to happen because I think that it hasn't affected people that it needs to affect. Like the analogy for me would be, you know, I I wasn't really aware of what cancer did families until it happened to my sister. I really didn't, uh, it didn't hit me. I can somewhat understand, but then I can't understand because it's almost like people have chosen value a cloth instead of valuing the feeling, having compassion for their fellow man. That right there is something that I, I, I will remember, but like I said, I would hope to, I would hope something would happen that I would remember that, okay, a change was made, right. but I'm not, I'm not very confident that that's going to happen because they keep making it about the flag and they keep watering it down with this locked arms bullshit. I mean, like I said, you know, we both said it. You know, we I'm all for unity. Don't right, get me right, wrong. Right, right. I want to live in peace and harmony. I don't want no problems. But this locking arms is some bullshit. It's watering down the real cause. That cool, refreshing drink. Try it with your friend. New world water make the tide rise high. Come in land and make your house go by. Fools done upset the old man river. Made him carry slave ships and fed him dead niggas. Now his belly full and he about to flood something. So I'm throwing rope that ain't tied to nothing. Tell your crew who's the H2 and wise amounts. This the new world water and every drop counts. You can laugh and take it as a joke if you wanna. I mean, at the end of the day, corporate America is about dollars and cents. And right. The NFL is the... Oh, it's a billion-dollar industry. It's a multi-billion-dollar yeah, industry with, with yep. multi-billion dollars net, yeah. not but multi-billion dollars, not just gross, but net. Right. And they have an opportunity, I think, because I think it's something like seventy percent of the, the league is it's black. Is yep. black. Yep. And the NBA, is what, eighty? Yeah. Somewhere around at there. least eighty. Yeah. So somewhere around there, so mm -hmm. you have an opportunity to basically put your money where your where your arms are that's right that's so right if you're ready to lock arms with us right with 70 percent of one league and 80 percent of another league the brothers in those leagues that are conscious that that are at a place where they're not scared for the next dollar mm -hmm. got to put pressure on graduate Goodell uh -huh. and the guy in the nba uh, uh, adam silver adam silver mm -hmm. to all right we're gonna lock arms well let's do something let's put put this money mm -hmm. to some social justice issues mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. put this money to defense issues uh-huh for a wrongly incarcerated people. If you're really about that and yeah. you're about that life, yeah. then you gotta show me this locking arms bullshit yeah. before the anthem, during the anthem, after the anthem means Fuck nothing yeah. if you ain't ready to throw down where it needs to be thrown That's down. Right. So That's right. I hope, it's one of the things that worried me is, and LeBron keeps referencing this and Carmelo, mm -hmm. I, wonderful, y'all came out of the ESPYs and for two minutes said something. I'm wondering, what do you think they're gonna do come whenever the NBA, I mean, like the first night. I want something mm -hmm. that first night. Mm -hmm. Because you and I fear, which is what's gonna happen over the next month, this thing is gonna die down, yep. NBA's gonna start up, 80% yep. black people right. making, what, $200 million a year, one Easy. of them? Yep. Two hundred million dollars yep. a year, Russell Westbrook over the next ten years, whatever two, it is. Two fifty for James Harden. So we got at least two hundred for two of them. Yeah. So what do you think the people who don't believe are gonna say? Well, these lucky ass Negroes, uh -huh. shut your mouth. You're making two hundred million dollars mm -hmm. money that me and my grandpa. 
My grandparents who came across blah blah and worked and worked and worked and worked oh, all their life. They're never gonna get that money. I need Russell. Y'all better find a plan B. I need LeBron, I need mm-hmm. all of them to do something the first night. Mm-hmm. Are you with me? What can they do? What can your NBA stars, people in your league that represent your basketball legacy, do? Because we know this shit's gonna die down mm-hmm. in the next before the NBA season starts. What can they? I don't want you to wait till Christmas Day. Right. I want you to do this. What can they do that would appease you? That would make you happy? What they could all do? Challenge, challenge the NBA and their owners putting some programs uh, to help the social inequalities with the schools. Start requesting accountability right. for police officers who run foul. Put the pressure on them that way. You know, because nobody's not for unity, unity. togetherness. There's not nobody's not for not nobody's against that. And we don't want to be divisive no, and all that. Nobody's stuff. against that. But what we are against is the social injustice and the non-accountability that's been going on. And I think for we to be happy uh with my guys, we need to speak on it and not be afraid of losing no corporate dollars. Y'all so upset. You know, somebody don't stand for the flag. You want to take away endorsements. They took Von Miller's endorsement or something like that. Because I don't have to stand for your anthem. I don't have to. But in order, you know, I'm, I'll let your your unity piece play out and look good. But give me something, too. So you I'm, think I'm, we got guys that are bold enough to... think we do, but I think... I, I don't think these guys realize the power that they have. Right. They're underestimating themselves. I think they got a lot of power. And they can make that happen, you know, but uh, I don't think they believe that they can make it happen. I heard accountability and dependability. And I think a lot of times people look at the negativity, specifically with black men in this country, and say the brothers out there are not being accountable for themselves, Mm -hmm. for the kids that they father, for the families that they run away from. And they're not dependable either. But obviously, in speaking over the last two hours, you're showing that you've been that guy from jump and still by your father. I'm not doubting that that message being passed on to your daughters, even though they might be living in a situation that might not have been as hard or as tough to get those lessons that you had to learn naturally. But, I mean, I've always respected people who've been able to carve out longevity. Like, I don't give a shit about the rap that's on now. Right. If you don't look like you're going to be around in two years, I ain't listening to you. That's right. So I believe in longevity. I believe in state power. 400 years, we're still fighting. Same old fight. Yep. And it takes folks who are accountable to where we want to go, mm-hmm. and we can depend on them to march, to sing, to fight, or just to speak the truth, mm-hmm. no matter who's going to talk back, who's going to say bullshit, and who's going to try to deny it. So I reached out to you because, obviously, you're one of those voices on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep dropping my ear in, see what you're saying, and right. try to defend it. And, um, right. you know, hopefully we can do this again, maybe in the middle yes, of the NBA I'm... season. But All right. the guest was Mr. <laughs> Chucky Brown, he's going to be posting some videos because I got to see him yamming like uh, Ben Wallace because I can't picture him. I All picture right. him and Barrera just stopping that lane, Pat Riley style, no fly zone, nobody coming through. Uh, Y'all better leave Dream alone because I got your bow right in your throat if you try to do something. But um, obviously, post those up, man. We want to we we see I'm that stuff. I'm going to do that. But, um, you know, I remember you. I mean, in the weight room, in, the, in Reynolds, mm-hmm. I remember that. And it's good to finally uh, I mean, meet you and... Uh, I don't want to be a one and done. 
No, no, you know, know it is the one no. We're we gonna do this again. Right, we're we gonna do, do this again. again. So All right. Brown, thank you Bye. very much, bro. Thank All you right. very much. Thank, thank you, you very much. Check us out on iTunes and on Podomatic. Subscribe, like, comment, so we can keep doing this again and again and again. For the love of ideas, Ubuntu Radio is here. And with that, Ubuntu Radio is out.